Welcome to Heather Solves Everything, a how-to-do show where Heather takes credit for making the world a better place by introducing you to people who actually are. I used to think that I was a good person, then I met these folks. Wow. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Heather Solves Everything, a how-to-do show where I take credit for making the world a better place by introducing you to people who actually are. Not all heroes wear capes. Who's our hero today? Food, shelter, and safety are the foundation on which we can start to build resilient and impactful lives. But here's the problem. Not everybody in Tallahassee has access to a safe and stable home. That sounds like a job for you. Heather, what's the solution? I've invited Kendra Light and Kelly Audie from the Housing Leadership Council of Tallahassee and Leon County to join me today. They're going to talk with us about housing insecurity, some of the dynamic ways that Tallahassee is working to solve problems, and can you believe it, a 3D printed house? Sounds like you've got this under control. We knew we can count on you, Heather. I want you to listen to this show and remember the wisdom of Vanilla Ice. It's time to collaborate and listen. Let's get into it. I am so happy to finally get to meet in person two people who I know either through telephone conversations or social media. And uh, today I get to actually make eye contact and not on Zoom in a real actual room that we're sharing with masks on. And um, and those people are Kendra Sullivan Light and Kelly Audie. Thank you so much for being here with me today to help me solve everything. Mm, thank you. Thank you. I know Kendra from when I interviewed her as one of the recipients of the 25 Women You Need to Know Awards here in Tallahassee. She is um, co-owner with her husband of Precision Building and Renovations and um, on the board of the HLC, the Housing Leadership Council of Tallahassee and Leon County. And Kelly Audie is the founder of the Oasis Center for Women and Girls, former ed- executive director of PACE Center for Girls, and currently running for Leon County Commissioner at Large. If you're in Tallahassee, you may have seen her riding on a horse. <laughs> Going around as part of her campaign, which just oh, yeah. got my attention. And um, and so I'm super happy that she was able to make time to come and sit down with me and talk about affordable housing. Mm-hmm. That is our topic for this show. Um, I wanted to talk about affordable housing after I learned about it from Kendra. Um, I was inspired and intrigued and captivated by listening to the story of how this became a central issue in her life. And I'm going to ask her to tell that story now. So Kendra, over to you. Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, So affordable housing. Wow, it took me a really long time uh, to get to um, this passion issue in my career. Um, I started off in education, leadership, and policy and doing research in in, education. women in education, um, the marginalization of women in the education for the K through 12 system. Um, And then I started working at the Oasis Center for Women and Girls as a program director there. And I started working out in the community and with girls who a lot of times were um, coming from families that were experienced extreme poverty. um, And poverty led to um, other issues throughout their lives. Um, And 
seeing what that looked like and kind of the base root of those problems. And it always came back to the presence of a safe and stable home, the physical place to call home. Um, and without that, um, a myriad of other human service issues seem to kind of snowball for families. And so looking at what that looked like and looking at the barriers that existed in our community for certain families to be able to achieve that status of a safe and stable home and how it then just exponentially resulted in hundreds of thousands of dollars of human service money being placed towards ramifying an an issue that could have been solved with with one thing. So you were able to see how absence of a safe and stable home was kind of like the first domino for other things not other needs not being met. Right. That also started to become expensive. Correct. In and, human services. And it led to um you know educational deficits for children as well as mental and physical health issues um and then issues with employment for families. So you know, for example, you would work with a single mom who was trying to hold an hourly job, and because they were living in a mold-infested apartment, a child who had asthma was continually going to the doctor. She was continually losing wages and then having to come up with the money to pay for the child's medical care. The child was losing educational um, benefits from being in school and at home and sick, and then of course, they're just, you know, one rent payment away from being out on the streets. Right. Um, and so it just kind of snowballed into so many other issues. And that's not to say that um, the presence of a safe and stable home is just an instant fix for everybody. Right. Um, but it certainly is, um, if you look at, you know, the Maslow scale, um, certainly is um, an indicating factor in mitigating a lot of other issues that can fall down the road. Absolutely. Um, and that providing of that safe and stable home allows families to be able to kind of work their way up that um, chain and be able to thrive like the rest of the members in our community um, so often have the experiences of doing. So um, that was kind of how I arrived at that issue. Um, at the same time, uh, owning a construction company here in Tallahassee, so um, having a view into the construction process, the costs behind the construction process, what the development um, costs and process look like behind um, building homes and how that works from a growth management side and permits and things like that, Um, and seeing just kind of how all the pieces started to fit together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so putting my head together with my husband and saying there's got to be a way that we can kind of tackle this issue from both sides um, and figure out how to develop communities that are safe and stable and provide services for families, like being close to food access and transportation, um, and that are that are not mobile homes that can blow away with every storm, um, and that are um, appreciating assets for families to be able to break those generational cycles of poverty, because it's so important for families to be able to achieve home ownership. Um, and you can, there's a book called The Color of Law that is amazing. I would recommend everybody read it. Um, it's an eye-opening book, um, but um, it just kind of goes to show how certain communities, certain people within our communities have been marginalized from those opportunities. Um, and it's something that I think we should all work to remedy. So um, so that's how I got to affordable housing. <laughs> so being able to see the need and then be able to assess the resources that you had that could be helpful in addressing the need and then using 
the relationships that you had with people like Kelly, Mm -hmm. who was acutely aware of um, just instability for women and other um, vulnerable populations in our community and being able to identify what the what the real problems are and and why they're spreading and then ultimately what we can do about them. Kelly, what was your response to to Kendra's passion for affordable housing and 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 how we can start solving to help people have that safe and stable home? Well, I think Kendra is a community treasure. She's the person that I went to when I first decided to run to really make sure that I understood the issues. One of the reasons why she is so dynamite and we all need to listen to her is because she has both sides of the equation. And you don't get that all the time. What what I'm used to is I'm an advocate. I'm in human services. So what I can tell you, tried and true a thousand times, is exactly what it looks like from the perspective of people who have housing insecurity. Right. What Kendra can do is look at it from the other side, which is the construction side. And one of the things that she doesn't even know, but from the conversation that I had with her, my brain kept working, 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 and then had more conversations with people in the realtor community, also in the development community, other construction people. And I am convinced at this point that our continuing to look at the for-profit sector to resolve the issue is not the way to go. Like I, and I, it doesn't mean that they're not going to do incredible, extraordinary things. They are. And they're absolutely necessary to the equation. But I think we've missed the boat in the sense that the greatest difference in, in the three, between the three sectors, government, business, and nonprofits is nonprofits jobs is to pick up the gaps that the other two sectors either won't or can't or should not do. And so with the 400th time that I heard that developers really want to pay out the, uh, I guess it's a fee or whatever the money is that they can use to be able to um, not have to do all of the inclusionary housing things, that all that said to me is that's money that really should be directed to the nonprofit sector to build more homes. And so I had a great conversation with Antoine Wright from um, uh, Habitat for Humanity. And not anything that that was, he wasn't committing to do anything. It wasn't that kind of conversation. But I just said, wouldn't it make sense in this community if there was Big Ben, you know, um, you all building the houses with the volunteers, and that's still great. We need that too. But we also need something else is faster. And mm-hmm. that is uh, able to provide lower affordable homes that people can buy in a much greater way because it's not nearly enough. And then I think government's obligation in that is to buy up some of the really dilapidated housing in certain sections of our community away from the landlords who will not fix them in a way that's humane, buy those and either raise them or get in there and renovate them with this kind of a project and then work to put those people into those homes where they own them. Because the really big thing, and I totally agree with this, is that if you don't think about it, if you don't own land, if you don't own your house, what do you really have to actually build wealth on? You really don't. You're always continually just kind of giving money away without actually building your own um, sort of, well, wealth. And so, and you have nothing to leave to your children. And when you leave things to your children, they start at their starting line and go up even further. So, I agree a thousand percent with her about the the importance of affordable housing and not just 
not just because they need safe places to be, but also because it is one of the ways that you change the intergenerational cycle of poverty. And we have to be a lot more creative than just handing people housing subsidies. We have to figure out how to give them housing ownership. That was something that really put the light bulb over my head, or maybe it was a lightning bolt because it was kind (laughs) of like, oh my gosh, I never thought about about it that way. And it brought to my mind the image of a ladder of, of being able to go up one more rung and one more rung. And that, just like you said, being able to, to hand this property down to your children automatically puts them on a firmer foundation and it can help level the playing field in a way that, that with all of the other myriad of issues that somebody who is in housing insecurity is having to also juggle can can take one of them off of the off of the fire yep and and help so that they can go and tend to other fires right you said um, both of you have mentioned housing insecurity when i think about affordable housing and housing insecurity my mind first goes to homelessness but that's not what you're talking about tell me what housing insecurity really is So when I say housing insecurity, what I mean is they're not secure in the housing that they're in. And it could mean that they are uh, struggling with homelessness. Okay. But that they have no safe foundation under your feet. And that thing where you have no place to anchor is a pretty traumatic experience for people. And if you do that to them over and over and over again, like the adolescent girls that I worked with at Pace, One of the definitions of homelessness is moving five or more times in a year. Hmm. And we had girls that move seven and eight and nine times every every single month. Every single time they couldn't pay the rent, they would just move to another location. Or when COVID hit, we had girls, 10 and 11 people living in a two-bedroom apartment. And to me, that that to me is, yeah, they have a roof over their head, but it is so insecure that it's traumatic. Is that what you would? Yes, yes, absolutely. And this show is about identifying problems and solving problems. And I think that that is, that is clear to me why it's a problem because of the domino effect that it has for affecting other areas of your life where you just stay in this cycle that you can't get out of because you're just, it's all you can do to keep your head above water and to keep treading and, and spinning the plates and juggling the balls and all of the other metaphors that we have to say barely keeping up right. and never making any progress. So we know what the problem is and we know why it's a problem. What are the hurdles to solving housing insecurity? I think one of the first and foremost hurdles that we have is dispelling the myths around what affordable housing means and housing insecurity. And so we talked a little bit about housing insecurity and what that means. And, you know, I'm sure anybody listening to this show can kind of instantly conjure up an image in their head of what that looks like. But we also don't talk about the 43% of Leon County, and this was pre-COVID is this data, 43% of Leon County that is living housing cost burden. That means that they're spending more than 30% of their income on housing. Uh, 19% is living severely house income, uh, housing cost income burden. Um, and that means that they're spending more than 50% of their income on housing. And there's a myriad of reasons for why families um, end up spending this type of income on housing. 
Uh, the main reason is, though, is that we have a median wage or income of $43,000 a year, and the median home price is $250,000 a year. So there's all kinds of graphs that will show you what that looks like for different sectors of employment across Leon County, but there's a gap. Yeah, <laughs> a big, big gap. gap. <laughs> so if you think about our teachers, our firefighters, our police officers, um, our nurses, the people that are serving this community, um, that's that's our Alice population. They're okay. living paycheck to paycheck, um, and they're one $300 expense away from, from being broke or... Um, or having a significant financial challenge in their lives. And so that is a huge population within our county. Um, and we just don't have the stock of housing that is required for that income population of our county. Um, and the most recent data that we had shows that we have about a 30,000 unit gap across our county for affordable housing. And that's across a wide range of different income levels and um, at prices, you know, a very range of prices. But just to kind of dispel some of those myths around affordable housing. We're not talking about um, projects or big block buildings that are overcrowded all the time. We're, we're talking about mixed-income communities that are beautiful and walkable and close to resources. And so when we talk about the need to build more affordable housing, there's an instant reflex to say, no, not in my backyard. Um, but I really challenge our community to look at um, what – we're proposing when we say we want to build more affordable housing and to really get in there and place input on the process so that we can help and all make it successful. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If if all of the, if, if, if there were no affordable housing project or houses that go on the north side, what you're literally going to do is segregate the community right straight down the middle. And everybody that can afford housing will be on one side and those that can't will be on the other side. So, it has an impact on our long-term health as a community, uh, it, it, in addition to what it means to the people who are living um, housing insecure. Yeah, yeah. Who needs to work together on this? <clears throat> I know that's a loaded question. <laughs> but, you know, if we're thinking about from the perspective of we, we see that there is a problem, we understand where the problem's coming from and the long-term effects of it. So looking from a bird's eye view of our community who needs to work together on this well talking to kendra just totally i i had i've always been a big believer in collaboration and cooperation but in this area i had started to get a little bit jaded Mm -hmm. that the only people that really cared was the social service network what kendra did for me was blew open my mind to the fact that that just was literally not true that there are lots of wonderful caring people that would solve it if they could solve it, mm-hmm. but they can't. And so the only way we're going to solve it is if it's a true, this is a true collaboration between government, the for-profit sector and the nonprofit sector. And I think that starts with being able to listen to each other so that we can actually hear. I mean, when they're saying, I can't afford to build affordable housing and we throw rocks at them to say, you should want to. We have to be okay with the fact that the for-profit sector makes a profit. That's what it does and that it's imperative to the economic vitality of our community. We want them to make a we profit. We want them right. to make a profit. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we want that. So we're going to have to open up our mind to how do we truly collaborate to resolve the issue or to make a dent in the issue. Would you? Absolutely, 100%. And I think that there are 
some great examples of that going on here in Tallahassee that are kind of in their infancy stages. The Housing Leadership Council is was founded to do just that, mm-hmm. collaborate across the three sectors. Um, and while it's still very young as an organization, I think that there are some amazing people that are working on that. And it has a great website, so you can look there and kind of see how you can plug into the Housing Leadership Council. Um, and then absolutely looking at best practices across the country for examples of how this was done and how it was done well. I know that um, it's something that has been important to uh, leadership throughout the community, but I think needs a definite, a, a more aggressive approach. Well, speaking of the private sector, I know you have a really innovative, is it a product? It's not currently here yet. <laughs> well, tell us about it, though, because it blew my mind. <laughs> so uh, this is, uh, my husband and I have been researching additive manufacturing and construction as a way to reduce the cost of construction um, and provide solid homes at the home ownership level um, that are at the same price point as what you would typically see a, a mobile home um, being provided for, but it's a solid concrete home. So it's additive manufacturing 3D printed of concrete homes. And you can you can Google it, YouTube it. There's lots of examples of it out there. Um, but we are working um, with a wonderful group of um, business investors and engineers and, um, and architects to um, bring the first residentially printed home here to the area. So um, we're exciting. We're, yeah, so we're, exciting. we're excited to uh, to have that here, um, and we're really hoping that uh, after the first couple of prototypes are complete, that we can really start to break ground on communities of three D printed homes that will allow people to do just what we've been talking about: experience home ownership at a level of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars or less, um, and be able to to build their wealth in that way. That just blows my mind. Isn't that true? I mean, when she told me about this, I was thinking, we have a 3D printer at my house. My husband has a 3D printer. And he uses it to make toys for our kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, and, and he makes other things, too. He would tell you about all of the really important things that he makes. But I know that he uses it to make toys for our kids. And little doodads and gadgets and fun stuff. And so to think about a house, mm-hmm. a house that is able to withstand I can't say it's going to withstand hurricane strength winds. It will, yes. Cat cat 5 plus. Yes, I remember talking about that and and thinking, why are we not making all houses like this? Oh, we will. Uh, We will. I think it is the next (laughs) wave of construction for, uh, or it's the next wave of of construction over the next uh, 20 years. We will see a boom in additive manufacturing. Additive manufacturing is a disruptive technology that is exponentially expanding across the globe. Um, and so it is It is one thing that, you know, in one way, shape, or form, we're all going to be touched by additive manufacturing, um, artificial intelligence, and and different aspects. But the ways that um, the, the key is, I think, is utilizing it to thrust sectors of our community forward that have traditionally been marginalized. And so using it in ways that can really start to break those cycles of poverty um, is, is the passion for my husband and I. So um, we are... We're, we're going to keep going. <laughs> well, I, for one, am thankful for that because that that just blew my mind. I was so excited. And to think that in Tallahassee, we could have the first 3D printed home. I just think that's really cool. <laughs> I just, I want that to happen so bad. Me well, <laughs> so another part of the reason why I created this show is to help others in our community 
see and understand opportunities where they can put their strengths and gifts to work. If somebody's listening to this and thinking, I want to help with this. This is important to me. I know somebody who needs help. I've needed help in the past. I've dug myself out or I'm drowning. What can somebody do who wants to help be part of the solution? I would say just off the bat, the Housing Leadership Council website, it navigates beautifully and it lists all of the resources from both the county, the city, and private and nonprofit resources that are all working um, in the housing field. And I would encourage the community to go there. If you find things that you know that exist that are missing on the website, please, like it's an interactive space. And so, um, but there are a lot of resources there um, and you can easily connect in with, with different ones for help or also to connect with other organizations. And I would also say that um, Karen Miller with the Tallahassee Lenders Consortium is doing a fantastic job. Um, and it's a wonderful way. We talk about, you know, home ownership and how important that is for families. They do a wonderful job of counseling individuals and families to be able to obtain that goal. And so I would say start there if you're a family or an individual that is looking for that goal of home ownership. I think something else that people can do is I think we need to become very aware of the housing restrictions for seniors who are living on restricted incomes here. Mm -hmm. It is, they, they don't, they're, they, they're not in a position really to need home ownership. What they're in a position for is to need a caring facility that will provide a quality of life for their care. And my dad was sick three years ago, and we spent a horrifying year trying to get him into anything. Um, and what I discovered, which I thought was just appalling, was that the vast majority of beds in this community under assisted living care and in nursing care are private pay. Um, so the really, the good ones, the ones, you know, and um, that's not fair because especially in assisted living facility, what assisted living does is recognize they need a little bit of assistance, but their quality of life needs to still be really, really active and engaged. And we could pay for him to get that, but he couldn't get it on his own. And uh, that's just wrong. You have people who can't afford to do it on their social security so part of the reason is a lot of those facilities were from companies outside of this area that came in and invested in starting up new programs or new facilities here. And the profits from those, it's profit driven. And so those, those profits are going out of our community and into other people's pockets. And I don't have any problems again with profit, but I'd much rather see the profit being invested back into our community and especially in increasing the beds that are available for seniors is definitely a passion area for me. That's really interesting. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times when I know that whenever I was thinking about housing insecurity, I was thinking about young families. Nope. You know, and and thinking about like the the scenario that that you presented earlier. Um, but because I don't have a an aging parent that in mm -hmm. town that is my responsibility to care for, it doesn't occur to me. Mm -hmm. So I know that um, in your current role of running for Leon County Commissioner, you're looking beyond Tallahassee, but into our other rural areas around our city. Um, but tell me what you envision as the future of Tallahassee for housing. Um, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. It's bringing it's what she's what Kinder's talking about about bringing the three sectors together because what I so what I believe and I think this is true in my career is that 
I've been involved in doing some really innovative community changing things, but I've never done them alone. Uh, I may have led that I may have gotten the people to the table, but there are really smart people that live here with, and there are many more people than not that have wonderful hearts and that they want to contribute to the solution. So I really do believe the, the housing council needs to be funded. It's not funded at a level that actually allows them to have the kind of staffing that they need to be able to do the work. So as government, that's something that I can help with. We need to get it fully funded. Uh, we need to stop trying to figure out how to fix what is really several decades long before we're going to see the answers or the solutions being implemented. We're going to have to figure out how to save like we do money. We're going to have to invest in these programs and then watch for the outcomes 20 years from now because we're not going to get the immediate kind of outcomes. And what we do right now in this community is we give somebody a little bit of money. We tell them they better solve the issue in uh, 12 months. And then we measure it to make sure they solve the issue. So what social services has gotten really good at is figuring out how to say that it was a long-term fix when it's not and they know it's not. It's counting people and services, not real impact. So to get to real impact, we have to be bold. Um, and we're going to have to be able to figure out how to do things that we're not currently doing, which means innovation and uh, people thinking outside of the traditional box and people bringing people like Kendra to the table who sees things in very different ways. That's the only way we're going to resolve it. Well, one thing that we've all learned from COVID over the past five months or however long it's been mm -hmm. <laughs> is that really challenging problems don't wait for us to be ready. No. They show up and they need answers when when they're there. Yep. And um, you know, some of the the wise words of vanilla ice came to mind as listening <laughs> to you guys because I sounds like part of the solution is to collaborate and listen. <laughs> and and that's what I'm really hearing is the collaboration of government, social services, nonprofit organizations, private industry um, to come to the table um, and and kind of embodying the one of my favorite philosophies um, of it's amazing what you can get done when you don't care who gets the credit. Right. Mm -hmm. If just knowing that we've got people in our community who can can do more with the, with what they've got if we are able to help them get into a safe and stable home that they own and that they can pass down and use as the next rung up on their ladder. Mm -hmm. And that through by collaborating and listening, yo, we'll solve it. <laughs> and I'm so happy to know that the two of you are on the job and I'm super excited that Tallahassee is going to be the first city with a 3D printed home. I can't wait to go to the ribbon cutting on that. <laughs> and I want everybody who's listening to remember that housing insecurity is something that happens across all ages. And it is all of our responsibility to make sure that everyone in Tallahassee has access to a safe and stable home. Kendra and Kelly, thank you so much for being here thank today. Thank you. Super thank fun. you for having me. Status confirmed. This problem is solved. Well, that's it for this week, guys. We did it. We solved another problem with a little help from our friends. You can be a superhero, too. Check us out online. That's where all the information is about how you can jump in and start solving everything.
Heather solves everything with a little help from Everyday Heroes. <laughs> <laughs>